All right, Chosen, we are in a new series. It is called Chosen, and that is going to be made abundantly clear for you here in a little bit because, as you guys know, you guys are all chosen. You guys are all loved by God. But this actually comes from a verse, one of my favorite verses. It comes from a favorite verse in the book of Ephesians. So that is what we're starting tonight. We're starting a sermon series that is literally going to go through the book of Ephesians verse by verse. And no, it's not going to take years and years and years. That's not, I promise. Um, but because it's only six chapters. Like how long can that really take? But the book of Ephesians, we need to understand something. The book of Ephesians, it's actually a letter that one person wrote to a lot of people to read. And it's important for us to know who wrote it and why. Because think about it. Like do you guys still pass notes in school? Like, is that, am I dating myself there? Like, you guys don't write notes and, like, send them? Really? Okay, well, then this is, you guys aren't going to understand this then. Because imagine that you're sitting in the middle of class and a note comes by your desk. And you're like, who's this note for? You read it and it doesn't make any sense to you because you don't know who wrote it or who they're writing it to. Right? And you're like, okay, this doesn't make sense. Now, imagine you read the letter and it says, I like you. But you know it's not to you. It's, it, someone wrote it to somebody else. That doesn't make sense unless you know who wrote it and who they're writing it to. Now, of course, like imagine like a boyfriend wrote it. And he's like, send this to my girlfriend down the row. And so it gets to them. You're like, okay, that makes sense. Like that's just, we know you like her. Okay, whatever. You know that the boyfriend is writing it to the girlfriend. And so that letter, you know who it's written from and who it's written to. And it's like, okay, this makes sense. Of course he likes her. But now imagine... You get the same letter. The boyfriend is writing it. He says, I like you. But instead of passing it to his girlfriend, the letter is actually intended to go to her best friend. That changes everything, right? That's why it is so important to understand who is writing and who it's written to. Because it matters who, you're, who it's writing to. So that, it's the same thing with the book of Ephesians. It's written by a specific person and it's written to a specific group of people. But as we're going to understand, it's actually written to me and you. It's written to all of us. So a book of Ephesians, here's the best way to open it up. Verse 1. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Ephesians 1.1. Bible app works too. Um, but it's also going to be on the screen in really cool font. So Ephesians chapter 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. To the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. So it's important to know. The Apostle Paul wrote this. And he was actually a prisoner in chains at the time of writing this. So Paul's in jail. He's chained up. And there's guards around him. And that is the circumstances on which he is writing this letter. And it says he's writing it to all the saints who are in Ephesus. So this letter was written to uh, a specific church 2,000 years ago. But Paul is also saying that this letter is written to you. He said this is written to the saints. And the saints, that's just another fancy word for saying Christians. So he said this is from Paul. And it's written to all the Christians who will read this and unpack this. So in a way, Paul, he wrote this 2,000 years ago to a specific church. But he's writing this for you today. Why? We believe it's because the struggles that the Ephesians struggled with are very similar to the struggles that we are going through today. Just because it was 2,000 years ago doesn't mean a lot has changed. People are still people, and people still deal with struggles. So you might be thinking, what does this letter have to do with me? 
What does this Bible have to do with it? What is this ancient letter that I can't even read in the original language because I'm not cool like Passion Met? What does this have to do with means? I'm, I'm just messing with you. I can't actually read it. I took Greek, but I don't understand it anymore. Um, so you might be thinking, what does this actually have to do with me? Well, think about it. It was written by a person who was in prison to a church that was being persecuted. This is written by somebody who knows the struggle to a group of people who are struggling. They can relate. Paul is in prison not because he was a bad guy. He was in prison because he was preaching about Jesus and, and the people in authority, they did not like that. They knew the struggle. Somebody's thinking, what does this have to do with me today? It's because this letter, the ultimate purpose of this book that was written is saying that there is finally an answer to the world's most long and complicated problem. There is finally an answer. It's obvious that the world has a problem. You might be thinking, I know. The world has a problem. There's probably a million problems. I have a million problems. But it's obvious the world has a problem. There's something that's fundamentally broken with the world and the culture and the society that we live in. Something isn't working. Something is off. Something is not right. You can look or go ahead and look at your friends and say, you have problems. Okay, now look to the other friend and say, you really have problems because I didn't even look at you first. No, you got problems. But seriously, we all got problems, right? Thanks, Shane. You got problems. But think about it. This world, if I can get everyone's attention back, all right. Tell your friend, stop talking. There you go. There really shouldn't be this much darkness in our world. If you really think about it, there shouldn't be this much injustice happening in our world. It shouldn't be this hard to fit in or to find joy or to simply just be happy. It shouldn't be this hard. It shouldn't feel this hard. So why is it so hard? Why, is it, why does it seem like every time we turn on our phone or any time that we go and have friends over, why does it seem like everything is just so hard? Have you ever thought that before? Life is just hard. Why is it hard? It's because sin breaks us. When we live away from God, we are broken from the inside out. Life apart from God, we feel lonely. We feel isolated like nobody cares or nobody knows what we're going through. That's, that's equal across the board. That's something that everyone struggles with on some level or another. But specifically, if you're living away from God, you're like something. Like, I just don't feel noticed. I just don't feel known. I feel like no matter how hard I try, I just can't be accepted. The lies that the enemy whispers into your head, that like, you're not good enough, you're not worthy, you're never going to amount to anything, or any of those lies, they start to become believable when we live away from God. And then we start to compare and as we start to compare, we start to feel worthless. And then we mess up. And then we do something wrong. Whenever we do that, we start to feel guilt and shame. It just starts to eat us alive. We know that something is broken. We can really realize that we have a problem. Is, something, is that starting to sound familiar? Like, do you know somebody who's experienced emotions like this? Maybe you felt these feelings before. But this letter says that there is an answer to the problems. 
The answer is actually found in the Bible, but specifically, it's also found in this book. Going through the book of Ephesians verse by verse, it will be the most important thing that you learn this entire fall semester. And I know you're like, I got school, like, I'm going to be in biology. I'm going to learn important things. Yes, you're going to learn very important things in biology, I'm sure. You're going to learn very important things in history about the Civil War and all that kind of stuff, I'm sure. That stuff is important. But I promise you, going through this letter verse by verse, you will learn more than anything else this fall semester. Because this, te- this letter is going to teach you how to live a life that is full of meaning and purpose in this life and for eternity. You cannot find that in biology. You cannot find that in math. You're not going to find how do you live a full and meaningful life, not just today but for eternity. You're not going to find that in school. It's found in this letter. You're not going to find it on Instagram or TikTok. It's found verse by verse going through this book. What you learn going through this book, it will directly apply to you each week. Like every week you're going to be like, oh man, like I'm actually going through something just like that. But it's also going to give you tools to live the life that God is calling you to live for the rest of your life to help you become more like Jesus and to actually make a difference in this world. The answer is found going through the Bible, verse by verse, scripture by scripture. So what is the answer to the problems that we just talked about? Verse two, Paul writes, in verse two through three, he says, grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens and in Christ. So Paul, he starts off by giving us an example of what we're supposed to do whenever we learn all these things. He says, we are to bless God because he has blessed us. That first word for blessed, it also can be translated as to praise. Think praise God. Worship God. Give him praise. Give him worth. Give him everything you have because he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. And that, that just sounds like a very churchy word. He, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. But what does that actually mean? It means everything that God has, everything that Jesus has, he's giving it to you. That means that in Christ, not, on your, not by yourself, not, not trying to do it on your own, not just by coming to church, but living a life in Jesus, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing. In Christ, you have everything that you need. And you even think about it on, on a personal level, on an emotional level. You have everything that you need in Jesus. Happiness, that is a spiritual thing. Peace, that is a very spiritual thing. That comes from the Spirit of God himself. Joy, that comes only from a relationship. All these things are spiritual things. And it says, in Christ, you have been giving every spiritual blessing. But the question is, how do we actually activate that? How do we dive in? How do we get that peace? How do we get that, that happiness and joy? How do we attain these spiritual blessings? Paul says it's easy. He says it's in Christ. But what does that actually mean for us? Paul continues in verse 4. One verse 4, he says, He chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. You were chosen. That's what this whole series is based on. And that's what all that, of those t-shirts and those hats and the hoodies, and everything is based off of this verse. That's what this whole series is based on, that God chose you. God chose you. Now, some of you, maybe one of you, you're probably thinking, of course, God chose me. Like, 
I'm God's gift to humanity. Like, I would have chose myself if I had to choose somebody to, to be awesome, you know? But most of us are probably like, me? Why would God choose me? Doesn't God know what I've done? Maybe you're thinking, like, this is the first time I've ever been to church. Why would God choose me? What, that, that, that doesn't make sense. Doesn't he know the thoughts I've thought? Doesn't he know how I treat my friends? Doesn't he know what I do when no one's watching? Why would God choose me? This is a truth in Scripture that you can believe and base your life around. Is that God chose you to be in him before the foundation of the world. Now, the world... In the world, that's just a fancy term in the Bible. That means like the way the culture, society, those who live apart from God and do things that God doesn't want us to do, that's the, what the word for the world means. The world will make you believe that you are special and that you are chosen. But when the world tells you that that is a lie, because they will make you think that you are special, but they really just want to use you and abuse you and leave you broken. They'll tell you, you're special. You don't need anything or anyone. You are a snowflake. You are special. You, have, you are unique. There's nobody that's like you. That's what the world will tell you. And they say, you don't need anybody. You don't even need God. Like You have everything you need just in yourself. You, you do you. That's a message the world tells you. But that is a message that is a lie. And that will leave you more broken. But you can believe that whenever the Bible tells you that God has chosen you, that that is something that you can build your life on. Because he's chosen you to be made perfect and to be made whole. And when God says, I chose you to be holy and blameless, the world will tell you that like, you, like you are perfect the way that you are. That's not true. You're perfect only whenever you are in Christ. Paul says that he chose us to be holy and blameless. Holy and blameless, those, those are very, very big churchy words that... that if we really unpacked what they meant, you'd say, of course, I'm not those things. It says to be holy and blameless in love. It says that God chose you to be holy and blameless. But you know that you are anything but holy and you're anything but blameless. You think I, I, to be holy means to be perfect. It means to be pure. It means to have no wrong, to, have, like, to be above everything else, to be set apart. Like that is a title that only Jesus and God have. And so you're thinking like, how can I be made holy and blameless? Why does God say that I'm those things? Like I'm not perfect. I messed up 30 minutes ago before I came to church. I'm not, those, and if anything, I'm not blameless. Like you can blame me for a lot of things. We've all messed up. Like we all have. I messed up. Brooklyn's messed up. You've messed up. But that is not how God sees you when you are in Christ. I'm going to say that again. We've messed up. But when you are in Jesus, when you are in Christ, that is not the way God sees you. Because here's why. God is outside of time. I know, that's mind-blowing. That doesn't make sense to a lot of us. But God, he's not bound by time. God's outside of time. That means God's in eternity in the very beginning, before everything existed, and he's at the end of time. He's right here. He's in tomorrow. He's in yesterday. It doesn't make sense. It blows our mind. But God is outside of time. So that means whenever you believe in Jesus, God sees you the way he created you, but he also sees you the way that you're going to be in heaven. He sees the glorified state of you. So whenever you believe in Jesus, 
He sees you as holy and blameless. Whenever we are finally united with Christ at the end of our life or at the end of time, you will be like Jesus in every single way. You will be completely transformed into his image. And so that's whenever you will be holy and blameless. And that is the way that God sees you right now. When you say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. God, I need you. God no longer sees the sins. He sees you as holy and blameless because of Jesus. And Paul is reminding us not just of the goal, that the goal is to become like Jesus, but Paul here, he's reminding us that that is how God sees you right now. And that's important because how God sees us right now, if we could truly understand the way God sees us, that will free us up to live the life he's calling us to live. Whenever they were making the Golden Gate Bridge, 85 years ago, whatever, history says that 23 people died in the first half of the construction. People just fell off and fell into the water and they didn't make it. And this was not good. And the people who were in, in charge of this, like, this is not good. This is getting us bad press. And so somebody came up with an idea, like, we're just going to put a net underneath the bridge so that if anyone falls, they fall into the net and they don't die. As soon as they put the net underneath the bridge, only 10 people fell off after that and none of them died. But the most important part of that is that production and productivity, it actually increased during this time. Because when people were not afraid of dying, they, were, they had more freedom to actually do their work. They could work faster. They could work harder. Productivity increased whenever they knew that there was a safety net. When you are in Christ, you have that safety net. When you accept Jesus and you believe in him and you trust in him and you make him your Lord and Savior, you don't have to worry about death and hell anymore. You don't have to worry about, um, I, I just messed up. Am I gonna, if I died right now, am I going to go to hell? That's not the way being in a family works. Think about being in your, in your relationship with your mom and dad. You forget to take out the trash. That doesn't mean that your parents automatically kick you out of the family and say, go find a new family. Like, you're on your own now. There's some, some, like, some of your parents are really bad and they might do that. I'm sorry. Come talk to me. Like, we'll get some counseling set up. But most families aren't like that. Most families are like, okay, like, you can't forget to take out the trash again. We're going to set up a reminder. We're going to walk you through this. Like, come on, let's get you act together. They won't kick you out of the family. Being adopted into the family of God is the same way. God's not going to kick you out. But that also, that also doesn't mean that we have a license to sin. Just because God's grace is so great that we can't understand just how deep God's grace is, that doesn't mean that we should keep on sinning so that we can keep getting more and more of God's grace. This is actually an argument that Paul wrote in, in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. He says, so we keep on sinning, so we keep getting God's grace. And he says, absolutely not, because you have died to that old self. When you accepted Jesus, you died to the old self, and you became a new person. But that doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect from here on out. We're still going to make mistakes. But he says, when you do, God's grace is there. And so this grace, it doesn't give us a license to keep on sinning. It actually does the exact opposite. God's grace and mercy, whenever you truly start to understand what that means for you, whenever you truly internalize that and you believe that, and you're like, I just can't believe how good God is to me. Like the fact that I messed up so bad, but God still loves me and God still chose me and God will still forgive me. As soon as you start to believe that, not just to know it in your head, because right now you're starting to actually understand it, you're starting to know it, but when it goes from your head to your heart and you start to feel it, 
God chose me. God forgave me. When that becomes something inside of you, something changes and you don't want to do the bad things you want to do anymore. God's grace and mercy should give you a deeper desire to know God more and to love him more and to serve him more. In Christ, you are chosen. In Christ, you are holy. And in Christ, you are blameless. And so we should live like it. We don't live like we're holy and blameless to earn God's love. But out of God's love, our lives should start to reflect that we are holy and that we are blameless. And here's the cool part. Is that God planned all of this before the foundation of the world. This means that before all eternity, before God created the universe, before the Big Bang or whatever that was, God has been leading and directing everything in existence and everything in the universe to this very moment or the very moment that you decided to accept Jesus. God's initiative in rescuing you and me, God's plan on saying, I'm going to rescue them from sin and death, it was not an accident. And it wasn't just a crazy thought that came through God's mind one day whenever he had bad pizza. But something that he planned long ago in Christ. Before the foundation of what he planned this. He wasn't like, oh man, like I, I created these humans and they just did something I didn't expect. They messed up. And now I have to save them. You know, kind of like the way, like if you have a dog and he pees on the floor, you're like, dang, he made a mess. Now I got to clean it up. That's not the way that God planned on saving us. Or he wasn't like, I'm just going to send Jesus to die for the sins of some people so that some people who are really good and special, they can have a relationship with me. And then he was like, oh man, like the secret of the good news got out. Now I have to save everybody. God wasn't, God's not reluctant in showing you his grace and mercy. The Bible says that he delights in showing mercy. God loves to show his grace. God chose to love you even before he created the world. Think about what that means. God chose you before he created the world. He chose to love you. He knew what you would do. He knew that you would mess up. Even in that, he chose to die for you. God chose you before the foundation of the world in love, to be in him, holy and blameless. But Paul continues on verse 5 and 6. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he has lavished on us and his beloved one. Paul saying that you have been adopted. And I don't know if you know how adoption works. I really don't even know how adoption works. But I know it's not something that just happens. Like you're not just walking through, like you don't just, like Brooklyn doesn't just send me to Walmart one day and I come home with a baby and like, look, I adopted a kid today. Like it's not something that just happens, you know. That's kidnapping, right. <laughs> Adoption, it has to be predetermined. To be adopted, you have to, somebody has to sit down like, we want a child. How are we going to go through this process? You have to sit down, you have to think about it. It takes time. You have to predetermine that you are going to adopt somebody into their family. It doesn't just happen on accident. It's not just something that happens. And that's the same way that says God predetermined to adopt you as sons and daughters into his family. God determined that. He sat down and he says, this is going to be a good plan. I'm going to invite them all to be a part of my family 
And just like once you're in the family of God, you don't have to worry about getting kicked out of the family. Like you messed up too many times, like you're done. You, like we're going to unadopt you now. I don't know how adoption works, but I don't know if you can unadopt. Like in leaders, do you guys know if you can unadopt? You can't. Okay, God is not going to unadopt you. Like you could probably choose to leave the family. Like you could run away. That's a whole different topic. But you don't have to worry about messing up too many times where God's like, I'm done with you. God saw you in your brokenness before he adopted you. He knew the type of person that you were. He saw you in your sin, and he decided he still wanted you to be a part of his family. And God is the perfect father. In his presence, he will bring you peace. God will always be with you. He will never leave you. He is perfect, and you are his child whenever you receive him through Jesus. And again, this was his good pleasure. And whenever we are adopted by God, that means that everything that he has is yours. And that's where it comes back full circle to he has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavens. Everything that God has is yours. When you are adopted into the family of God, everything that he has is yours. That happiness, that joy, that peace, that meaning, that purpose, everything that God has, it is yours. He wants to give you as much of it as you can handle. And it's all yours whenever you accept it and you're living in that deep and abiding relationship with Jesus. The band will go ahead and come back. God has been leading and directing everything to this moment. We see that in verse 4. Before the creation of the world, God chose you. That means everything, all of the world history, everything that has brought you here, everything that's brought me here, has been leading you to this moment that God loves you and that God chose you and God wants you to be in his family. So my question for you is, what do you think? What does this make you think about? What do, what do you feel about this? Are you tired of trying and tired of being anxious and tired of trying to do it by yourself alone? Are you ready to once and for all surrender everything to Jesus and to throw yourself on his mercy? That's the only way we get out of this, by throwing ourselves on the mercy of Jesus. Have you given your life to Jesus yet? Have you truly taken that step? And there's many of us, we raise our hand, many of us would say that we are Christian, even though, even if this is your first time here, even if you've never raised your hand before, you'd be like, I, I grew up in Oklahoma, like, I, I am a Christian. Here's two, here's two questions for you to ask yourself to actually answer that question with honesty. The first is, before you can ever call yourself a Christian, answer these. Do you love Jesus and want to get closer to him. And that's not just, yeah, I love Jesus. That's a, is that your desire? Is that your heart? Does your heart truly say, when I wake up, I want to just love Jesus. I want to get closer to him. Everything I do today, I want it to lead me in a closer relationship with Jesus. And I want that love to overflow so that everyone can see that. They can see the light. They can see the change. The question is, do you love Jesus? And the second one is, do you hate sin? Do you hate it? To hate, it means to despise it. It means to reject it. It means to avoid it. When you hate sin, that means when something sinful comes up, I'm like, I'm not going to listen to that. I, I hate sin. Jesus died for sin. I don't want anything to do with it anymore. 
That's why Jesus came and died on the cross is for sin. So why am I enjoying this right now? So those are those two questions. And I truly believe you cannot call yourself a Christian unless you answer those two questions. Do you love Jesus and do you hate sin? Do you despise what sin has done to the world, what has done to Jesus, what is doing to you? So with every head bowed and every eye closed, everything has been leading to this moment. What, what brought you in here tonight? I believe it was 